0: Hello, I'm Anna Bogutska.
1: And I'm Clarice Lockery.
0: And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. We've just wrapped up the last. Episode of Murder House, uh, which is first season of American Horror Story, and we couldn't really just jump into the next season straight away. So we thought maybe it would be a fun thing to do to round up some of our favorite moments of the show. But in keeping with the uh, with the campy horror show that is American Horror Story, we thought we'd make this awards episode very hyper specific to Murder House as a season and American Horror Story as a mm-hmm. show.
1: Yeah. These are the Oscars of Murder House. <laughs> and <laughs> and and we are we are Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> ready to hand out some sweet, sweet uh, no. awards.
0: No, <laughs> we're not.
1: We're not. We're nothing like Ellen DeGeneres. I would
0: like to be removed from the Ellen DeGeneres narrative. <laughs>
1: I just couldn't think of another Oscar host because they just stopped having hosts because everyone was so bad. What about if we like James Franco <laughs> and Anne Hathaway? No, Hugh Jackman. No, there's been no good Oscar hosts. <laughs> we are what they did um, this year, which is a a series of celebrities. We are the cast of Avengers. <laughs> coming on to read um, some really boring jokes.
0: We're the AHS algorithm, so we just generate the appropriate levels of gravitas and or inappropriate humor as the categories require.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. With Sarah Paulson and Jessica Lange. Really? Oh my god.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. And I'm spirit. I'm okay glamour. with that. <laughs> I am on board with that. <laughs> I mean, do you want to dive right in? Do we have any general thoughts? Well, actually, yeah, that's a that's a really good point because we spoke about this at the beginning. I hadn't rewatched this this I hadn't rewatched Murder House since it aired in 2011. Had you? What did you think about the experience of revisiting it?
1: I have watched it? multiple times but this is not one that I often revisit because I am I'm more of a fan of the campier later seasons which I know is the opposite of every other person <laughs> who watches American <laughs> Horror Story um so because I I find this season so dark and I think it is really dark and it is I rewatching it I was struck again by it's still got all the, the campy elements in mm. it, and it, it's silly and super emo in places. But um, yeah, when you think about some of the ground we've covered <laughs> in the past few weeks, you're like, yeah, this is a pretty heavy
0: season. Some of the conversations that were being raised in this very over-the-top season you know about the apocalypse and the hoof babies and murder ghosts and you know the very familiar setting of a haunted house that is just you know the setting the house itself is haunted and nothing no amount of kind of exorcisms or sage can ever fix that space some of the questions that were being raised perhaps clumsily in some instances by the show like around consent and around familiar bonds and around um, trauma some of those questions are feel so pertinent to some of the com- wider cultural conversations that we're having right now and that are continuously being explored by other creators and other writers so it's been really intriguing to go back to the show now in the context of everything that has been happening in all the conversations that have been opened up in the last couple of years and how they've evolved and looking at something that you know does feel potentially dated in some regards but we're certainly trying to tackle some very very dark themes within a very familiar framework of horror fiction and that's part of the reason why I love American Horror Story and why I love horror as a genre but it also does feel kind of you know knowing the levels that it will the heightened levels that it reaches in further seasons this did feel like a very somber one compared to everything that's about to come
1: yeah you're totally right about it's interesting it, it was talking about this stuff in 2011 which I think a lot of those conversations weren't really happening at least in in super mainstream media like this and so I think you know the stuff that feels a bit clumsy that's maybe because we didn't necessarily have the the sort of guidelines yet about mm. you know what's the appropriate way to talk about this stuff because so few shows like this were were talking about it so I I think you kind of see that often mm. in in movies and tv shows that are maybe slightly ahead of their time there is a clumsiness to them because they're just trying to like start these conversations that just you they didn't really have like the the correct vocabulary or sort of like the, the most sort of thoughtful sensitive way to put it yet mm-hmm. but they were still just trying to like have a stab at it
0: <laughs> agreed and also i love that we can frame ryan murphy's oeuvre as ahead of its time because It was, in some ways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing. We have to, we, like, we we do have to give him credit for that.
0: (laughs) You're going to regret it. You're going to regret it. You're going to regret it. So, moving on very swiftly into our... Awards categories, because, you know, this is an important event for everyone. And the first one we're going to give is, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? The finale of one of our recurring features on the next Supremes. And that is what has been the best butt in show in this season.
1: Ooh, okay, well, you, do you want to go first? I feel like mine's okay. more unusual.
0: Oh, okay. An unusual but. Um, I know that we spoke a lot about Dylan in the show. He does appear naked quite a lot. Uh, he kind of has the monopoly on naked men. But I'm going to go with Patrick. He has very few naked moments, but... One of my favorite butt moments of Murder House is when he is arguing with Chad and, you know, their relationship is breaking down. So it's not great context, but he uses his nakedness and as a kind of as a real power move. So it's a power butt move. And I appreciate that.
1: That is a power butt move. That is
0: good.
1: <laughs> that, what I went for, I know he's kind of only in one episode, but I wanted to give a shout out to Miguel, Who's the father yes. of the the second family that move into the house? And because the ghosts do the whole routine where he goes down butt naked to the stove and puts his hand on the fire, um, just I, <laughs> I don't really have any. Uh, <laughs> I you have a much better reasoning for yours. I'm just just thought as a supreme butt.
0: Sometimes you know we we can just we can just you know appreciate the male. But and that that's all we need. Yeah, and that's all that sometimes we're given. I like that character. (laughs) He
1: seems like a nice dad. He seems like a good dude. So shout out to Miguel and his butt. He seems like
0: a very cool dad. Yeah, he just seems like (laughs) really cool dad vibes. So yes, and he loves his wife, and you know he wants to have another baby. So it's all it's all good vibes for the Ramos family. Yeah, we wish them well.
1: We do wish them well. Okay, so should we now do the most
0: emo moment? The most emo moment award goes to... (laughs) (laughs) There's so many candidates for this award. It's very hard to pick. Um, Do you want to go first? I have a a single line
1: for me, which is when Tate and Violet (laughs) go on their first date, and he gives her a black rose and says... I know how you don't like normal things. I don't like normal things? You're the first boy to ever give me a flower. Thank you. I love it. What does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean don't? No, what are normal things? I love it. <laughs> still like it's still he still gave her a rose it's just a black rose it's a pretty normal thing it's not like he came with like a squid and was like i know you don't like normal things here's a squid it's so romantic (laughs) you know (laughs) like (laughs) widen your horizons if you really think you really think you're that much of a weirdo you still gave her a flower so there
0: we go I've got I've got so many questions about the scenario. <laughs> can, can we just have a little tangent? Because um A I you know, in my ignorance about anything that is not related to things that happen on a screen, I did not realize that black roses were an actual thing. <laughs> I thought that was pretty weird. Um, that said, a squid? How could you like how would you bring a squid to a date? Like the logistics of that, how would that work? Aren't they, like, quite squishy?
1: Yeah. You put it in a cool bag. Take it out. There you go.
0: (laughs) 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 Although, uh, (laughs) um, one time on a a second date, a guy did bring me a broccoli to a, a really busy pub. And it was the same energy. Was
1: that, yeah, was that, like, I'm being really quirky?
0: I think it was because it was very it was very quirky and much like tate he too turned out to be a soft boy but i know you don't like normal things but it's a broccoli so here's a broccoli because you spoke you spoke extensively about how much you like broccoli
1: (laughs) oh i see he was trying to be like look i listened to what you said you said the word broccoli more than twice here's a broccoli Next date you go on, just keep saying the word squid. See if if the date
0: comes next date. Honestly, if someone brings me a squid or like shrimp that I can eat on a date, Mm -hmm. I'm marrying that person. I don't care.
1: True. I was not imagining like a cooked squid. I imagine just like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know you weren't. But I like, I was like, yes, but maybe some, maybe some like, you know, little, like some deep fried squid would be quite nice. Yeah. Like a, bu- like a bouquet, squid, a bouquet of squid. The calamari bouquet. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Getting, getting back on track with the most uh, emo moment award. So that, that's an excellent moment. I mean, that line, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I would hundred percent fault for that line myself. <laughs> I mean, Violet deserves all the emo awards in the world. My most favorite emo moment of hers was when she is finding out about Tate's Tate's real life, his backstory, and namely the kind of the high school massacre that he uh, perpetrated.
1: Wait, I'm sorry. I'm not like those other kids. I know Tate. Why are you bullshitting me? Good people don't just have a bad day and start shooting people.
0: She screams at the wheelchair-bound teacher that had survived Tate's murder spree And is just so frustrated by the fact that he won't tell her information that she wants about her ghost boyfriend. That she just kind of like yells at him. And I was like, okay, calm down, girl. You are in a library.
1: You are in a library. And you're also yelling at somebody because he won't uh, expose his entire trauma for you in the middle of a public space. Very emo.
0: <laughs> and his workplace.
1: In his what? Work- yeah. Yeah. Violet, I don't come into your workplace and say, "Dad, tell me everything about you dying and
0: then realizing you were a ghost." That brings us all neatly onto the most gruesome death of the season Mm,
1: because it's definitely violet right i mean
0: yeah i mean on several accounts so on shock value alone because we spent quite a few episodes with violet once she's died without knowing that she's dead and the reveal of her body is is quite dramatic and it's it's very violent because we're not seeing we don't see her die but we do see kind of her decomposing corpse and it's very it's very much in the vein of the 2002 remake of the ring the english language remake of the ring you know with the like the big distorted mouth and kind of a lot of insects coming in and out of her eyes and like the big white eyeballs and stuff it's it's just a couple of like flash shots of her body but it's Very impactful,
1: I thought. Yeah, because that... I think I said this before, that scene from The Grudge... um, Not The Grudge, The Ring, The American Ring. uh, I had to sleep on the floor of my parents' bedroom the night that I watched that movie when I was a little tween. So, didn't like revisiting that moment.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No. And also, like, it's also sad. Like, it's really sad, the fact that she... You know, she doesn't know that she's dead. Nobody's mourning her. And she is just this teenage, the sad teenage girl is just decomposing in the attic somewhere without anybody knowing that she'd gone.
1: Yeah, and just like having to look at your own dead body is morbid, I would say. Very gruesome. Should we move on to Best Inappropriate Historical Reference Award? Because so many choices.
0: <laughs> there were so many. What's what's your top one?
1: Definitely. I mean, everything that's on the murder, the Los Angeles murder tour, is high-key inappropriate. But I think the worst one for me, I mean, the O.J. Simpson one was bad, but I think it was the, the Sal Mineo where they go to the alleyway where salminio was killed and they're like (laughs) ta-da here it is and it just i because the the weirdest thing about it is that it it cuts in with no context because at least when they do the oj simpson one and they they go to the the scene of that crime um like Hmm. you know that you already know that that this has happened once before so you're kind of prepared for it (laughs) But when they do the cell minio section, mm-hmm. you're just like watching Murder House, and then there's what I think is an ad break. Obviously, because we've been watching it on Netflix, um, so it's a little hard to tell sometimes. But you kind of go yeah. from smash cut into ad break into, uh, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> They yeah, don't they? They don't even start with the narration. Don't they just start with like a recreation of his death? I'm trying to remember now. I just remember being like high key confused.
0: <laughs> No, I remember it, it kind of like it starts essentially like a like an old timey flashback and then midway through the Craig from Malcolm in the Middle, uh, who plays the the Murder House tour guide, kinda of his voice, this narration cuts in, so then you suddenly know that this murder you've just seen is meant to be Salminio. Uh, and you kind of like are pulled out of that scene as an audience and told that this is, you know, this um horrific, untimely murder of of a, a beloved Hollywood actor. Well, beloved. I mean, he was, but also he died way too early and he was also a gay man in Hollywood at a time where that was not, you know, he couldn't, like, live openly as a gay man. So there's also a layer of, you know, them rewriting a complicated history yes. of someone who had suffered for kind of no particular narrative reason like salminio never shows up again in the season uh the black dahlia elizabeth short does play a role like she's got a speaking role she's uh she's a real character in the show even if you know um a tertiary one but salminio is just kind of spoken about we get this like brutal brutalization of him and it kind of adds insult to the already tragic history of salmini i thought
1: yeah and because i we did talk about this on that episode um they do also sort of oversimplify it because they say very definitively that he was murdered because he was gay but i'm saying this is where because they they don't actually know and i mean it could be very possibly true but it is yeah not accurate to say definitively it was so so it's kind of that like squashing for shock value as well to mm. sort of you know squish down his identity to one thing where you know yeah great career and he was a great yeah. actor and he was many things
0: we're, we're getting we're getting heavier with each passing award <laughs> moving on to the next one what is what was our favorite cameo by a historical figure, for absolutely no reason. Award. I mean, they get real complicated. So,
1: <laughs> I mean, we. I get it's Black Dahlia, right? Because why? Why? Is, why is she there? Yes,
0: literally <laughs> no reason other than the fact that she died in a LA. lake.
1: Yeah, and they're like, yeah, we'll solve the Black Dahlia murder. It was this dude in a basement.
0: <laughs> I mean. I do actually kind of love it. I have to admit. I I okay. I've got two theories here. There's two reasons why she might actually be a character on this show. One is because it's the most famous un, It's the second most famous unsolved murder. The first one, of course, being you know Jack. The identity of Jack the Ripper, but the Black Dahlia. Nobody knows exactly what happened or who killed Elizabeth Short. So this is like a nifty way of linking up true crime and LA Grizzly history with uh, fictional characters. So it's like a win-win and a really true. gruesome wink. True. But my other theory is that actually someone came up with the idea of doing a boy Dahlia. So then they had to put in the black Dahlia to make sure that the reference made sense.
1: Oh, uh, right. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And also, I mean... Within the history of American Horror Story, basically every murder's covered, so she was going to have to turn up at some point, and it makes the most sense to do it yeah. in the the murder house with a long history that goes back to the the golden age of Hollywood in, yeah, in L.A. Yeah. Because all the, well, they haven't done Jack the Ripper yet, so <laughs> season 10. <laughs> god he's gonna get on a boat from london
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god oh oh my god oh my god if uh, oh oh now i'm spinning out if american horror story does a jack the ripper season i will lose my absolute shit
1: (laughs) i mean i won't say who they've covered because that would be that would be a spoiler but um, I will say that within every single existing season, I can't think of anybody who hasn't been covered by this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is—they're oh. running out of murderers. So they might have to go international.
0: Also, with American Horror Stories, that's about to, like, you know, exist at some point in the near future. They're gonna have to, you know, widen the scope. We could do a whole hour of just speculating what American Horror Story could cover
1: true true they're gonna have to drop the american at some point because they're gonna get itchy for for some european global probably want to go to japan at some point and
0: do japanese horror i mean what about franchising this like you know japanese horror story British horror story
1: I would be into that Let's
0: go specific Let's go like English horror story Scottish horror story Scottish horror story Spanish horror story (laughs) Oh my god There's like (laughs) I would be so up for all of this uh, I am also available uh, for any writers' rooms <laughs> that might be hiring by now <laughs> specifically. It's basically American horror Story related ones.
1: <laughs> it's basically Men in Black International, but the American Horror Story version.
0: <laughs> oh my God yes yes, all of it. i I want this in my eyeballs right now.
1: <laughs> they'll they'll do it eventually. Don't worry.
0: Okay,
1: hopefully, hopefully. Okay, so this one is the most questionable consent award. Because there's a lot of, uh, consent yeah. comes up a lot in this season. I think, you know, specifically Murder House, there's a lot of different sort of mm-hmm. conversations and like different, different levels of consent and ideas of consent. Um, Oh, uh, do you want to? Do you have an an answer first?
0: We were talking about this earlier. This season does look at consent from a myriad of points of view and in a myriad of situations. I'm gonna say, out of I mean, there's a lot of examples. I'm gonna say the one that I was struck with the most was the Black Dahlia, specifically two instances with that character. The first one, she's alive, and the fact that she is assaulted while she's sleeping under the the effect of the, um, I don't know what it's called, like the the gas that the dentist uses to put her under before doing his his work, and that kills her, Um, that's, I mean, that's horrific. But then when she's a ghost, she's kind of like presented as such an interesting figure of someone who is essentially internalized so much the fact that her only value is as a sex object for anyone that she kind of only sees herself as that. So then sexy Moira ghost essentially manipulates her into getting into or trying to get into a threesome with Ben Harmon Mm -hmm. in order to, I don't know. Bang ben. I think that's the only thing that Sexy Moira wants for a good chunk of the season. So that kind of moment, you know, when she's sort of participating in this and, you know, they're kind of half naked and they're all like kind of getting it on and stuff for Ben to watch and be lured into. But he doesn't fall for it and there's this, there's this vibe that she doesn't really know what or what for and she's not necessarily into it and she's been convinced by Moira to do this like performance of sexiness for this man that they don't really have any interest in, really. And that I found really murky because that's like Moira taking advantage of her weaknesses in in some senses, of this kind of internalized lack of value that she has for herself.
1: Yeah, I agree because obviously like the rubber man and that storyline is the sort of big like major example of that in terms of its importance in the story but so much of this season is about like that manipulation um and and that kind of deceit and Mm -hmm. how damaging that is to other people so I would say I think the entire relationship between Tate and Violet is just like layer upon layer oh. of sort of it is deceit and manipulation to the point that I think it steps across a line of of you know what are we talking about when we talk about
0: mm.
1: consent, you know? Something's changed in you toward me. You're distant,
0: cold. You
1: know, I don't know what I've done, but I'll leave you alone from now on if that's what you want. Is that what you want? You know why I leave you alone? Because I care about your feelings more than mine. I love you. There I said it. I'm not just on some chalkboard. I would never let anybody or anything hurt you. I've never felt that way about anyone. I mean, you know, we're talking about it in slightly fantastical terms because one of the things is like him being a ghost, which of course has no sort of relevancy in real life because in real life we don't have to worry about uh, our sexual partners secretly turning out to be ghosts. But I think it's the (laughs) way... It's very much like the way he presents himself to her and constantly like manipulates her Mm. into... to. To making him look like the victim, I think that's the thing that I find so disturbing about that relationship. Oh my god! So because he is he is a murderer, he is a mass murderer, and the way that he every Mm -hmm. single time, like every single time, he he tries to twist it into like I'm the victim, pity me, pity me, pity me. And we've talked about the idea that okay, well, this might be partially. You know, partially, this might be there might be some truth to this that he is a bit of a victim because of the the machinations of the house. Perhaps there is something demonic inside of him that's making act against his will I mean, this is like this is the thing with this show is that you're combining like supernatural and the real. So when you are talking about things like consent and freedom of and and will and the idea of will, it, it get you know like you can't really just apply it to real life because in real life you know people aren't being demonically possessed by houses uh and and nobody's boyfriend is revealing themselves magically to be a ghost but I I think if you take all of that as a metaphor for the sort of the real forms of emotional abuse that happen and and psychological manipulation that happen Mm -hmm. in in everyday relationships then I think uh It's like really interesting to think about
0: totally absolutely and I think you know we've spoken about this as Tate's character got gradually revealed throughout the season but he is probably the best exploration of the myriad of layers of consent kind of completely condensed in this one character because even in his entire relationship with violet he is constantly hiding very vital information for her like you know the fact that he is dead and then the fact that he also covers up her death so he even takes away that element of kind of of knowledge and self-awareness from her and that gets revealed kind of very dramatically and we've spoken about that. That's a very, very, very good very good choice yeah
1: and tries to get them tries to coerce her into um uh, suicide by being like let's do it together. I mean, she's already dead at that point, but like even that in itself, yeah, is so like emotionally manipulative and so like that that to me is like
0: that's psychological abuse and coming from a place as well where he has information like he knows that she is dead already so this is kind of a performance that he wants to put on supposedly for her benefit but it isn't really
1: yeah yeah it's it's also like yeah it's a kind of like form of abuse by by like trapping her in this bubble of ignorance
0: so tate langdon
1: basically he's the worst
0: So then from one um, very problematic flop to a hilarious flop, what is the worst medical intervention on the show?
1: Uh, hoof, hoof baby. Hoof, <laughs> <oops>. <laughs> The <oops. laughs> Little baby deer leg. Little baby deer leg on the little... Oh. I mean,
0: Dr. <laughs> Charles Montgomery. Charles Montgomery is probably my favorite flop character on this season. Um, and top worst medical intervention, I would say, aside from Hoof Baby, would be the boy Dahlia. When, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when, Char- when Charles just appears in the basement after Travis has been murdered and he's like, I can help. And he has that amazing line where he's like, oh wait, no, that's with the black Dahlia, not with the boy Dahlia, where he's like, a writer writes and a surgeon cuts. And you're like, okay, Charles, maybe, maybe tone it down a bit. You don't really have to, you know, cut people into pieces.
1: Yeah. I don't know who gave him his medical degree, but they should probably have (laughs) revoked it. (laughs) After the first hoof baby. Well, I mean, we're just, we're just filing through the the disappointing men of this show. um, (laughs) With my answer, at least. But, uh, worst parent award. Well, I, cause I went for Ben, because I just feel like, Mm -hmm. how did he not notice that his daughter didn't go to school for like two straight weeks?
0: And the fact that she wasn't eating.
1: And all coming out of her room, leaving the house. Like,
0: (laughs) how? Ben Harmon is a licensed, I don't know how, a licensed psychotherapist. And he's living with a daughter that's so depressed that she's committed suicide. And he does not notice. Come on. Just
1: didn't notice that the front door did not open at any point. During two weeks, I just, I just don't like. It's not even worst parent award. It's just like worst awareness of your surroundings award. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I, I I just don't understand. I just don't understand. What was your? Did you have a
0: different answer? I did think about Ben because he's uh, terrible in every single sense. But I think my worst parent award goes to Constance Langdon. God damn
1: it! Come here now. Who did that to your face? Violet. Violet. That girl's got another cupcake coming. Now wash <laughs> that smut off your face. No, I want to be a pretty girl. Well, you're not a pretty girl, and you know it. But I want to be.
0: She has just failed as a parent on every single level but the thing that kind of makes her worse in my eyes is the fact that she is convinced that she is amazing she literally chained her one of her children in the attic Beauregard and then had her lover murder him and then she basically Mistreated Addie constantly and made her wear a Snoopy mask on Halloween year after year and locked her into this like Carrie esque closet full of mirrors so she could go have sex with her boy toy. And then eventually, you know, Addie got run over and killed. And then, you know, she raised Tate, who Became like a mass murderer and she still thought that Tate was the best one of her children he was literally a mass murderer so she's very superficial and has a lot of really twisted values that she puts onto her has put onto her children and but still somehow is entirely and honestly convinced that she's an amazing mother uh, so obviously she's also gonna steal a baby and raise it as her own because she deserves a fourth chance
1: True, that's the th- I. D- <laughs> I don't know why I fixated. Because my like, she's literally just a horrifically abusive mother, and then my brain thought, well, at least she noticed <laughs> when Tate died. At least she noticed.
0: <laughs> so I don't know. Fair, fair. <laughs> that's that's kind of fair. The bar is so low.
1: She wasn't like three months down the line. Hmm, that's weird. I haven't seen Tate for like three months. Oh, my child's okay. <laughs> Anyways, back to me doing whatever I... Sobbing into the kitchen sink.
0: <laughs> back to smoking cigarettes. <laughs> back to smoking cigarettes. From one flop to another flop, Um, continuing the this show within a show that we made up as we were recording this season of the podcast, which is, you know, The Adventures of Ben Harmon, Terrible Therapist. Uh, What was Ooh. the worst therapy session?
1: I'm going to say i'm gonna say piggy piggy man piggy guy the guy who's scared of the piggy man played by eric stone street
0: here piggy piggy pig here piggy piggy pig pig Here, piggy,
1: piggy, pig. Who are you calling a pig? He literally died doing his therapy because Ben. So basically, the this this man is is terrified because he thinks if he looks into the mirror and says, "Is it piggy or piggy man?" Like three, it's basically like Candyman, but it's a pig guy. Um, yeah, it's piggy man. Piggy man's gonna come and kill him. And Ben just basically tells him to go do that. And it's not Piggy Man that kills him, but there's actually just some people in his house that kill him while he's looking in the mirror saying Piggy Man over and over again. That was pretty bad.
0: (laughs) It's not not great when your patients die because of your therapy.
1: Yeah, because they're saying Piggy Man in the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) A disappointment.
0: Everything Ben does is a constant source of disappointment. <laughs> I think my, my favorite worst therapy has to be with the character of Sally, who appears in one episode, and she's played by Dina Porter, who's an extraordinary actress. And essentially because Ben very literally falls asleep during their session. Yes she is there that's really bad confronting like (laughs) deep-seated insecurities about the fact that like she people think she's boring or she can't like maintain the interest of whatever her partner or something and her therapist who she is paying money to to listen to her falls asleep in her session i would be i would be so mad (laughs) if that
1: happened yeah yeah especially when you're talking about how boring
0: you are that's pretty problematic And that also led to her trying to kill herself. Which, again, not a great outcome for a therapist.
1: Whoever gave him his medical degree probably should revoke it.
0: Definitely should. (laughs) Just
1: saying. A lot of medical institutions here not doing their thorough (laughs) checkups on (laughs) their graduates. (laughs) Saying. This is quite a big one, but the
0: best ghost award, because
1: there's a lot of them in this show. <laughs> oh,
0: my God, yes. Okay, this is Ghost Central. Yes.
1: My favorite ghost is the fabulous and always just annoyed at everything, <laughs> Nora Montgomery, <laughs> played by the wonderful Lily Rab. Does this mean you, you
0: get to do the, the Nora Montgomery voice again? <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's the thing? I love that line when she's like. I remember when I used to polish my own... Here I am, polishing my own silver. <laughs> How far I've fallen. Charles?
0: <laughs> the bit witch complaining about having only two servants. Two! Gosh, I
1: remember when Mama had five. <laughs> there we
0: are. There are. Only two servants. I'm a fallen woman. <laughs> she's felt like a deeply irritating person. And also really tragic because she just wanted to have a baby and a nice house, and then you know her husband gave her a hoof baby.
1: But she kind of didn't want a baby because when she finally gets a baby, she's like, "Ugh, stop <laughs> yeah. crying! <laughs> yeah. disgusting." Yes, I think I think she wanted a, her servants to bring up a baby for her. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that's what she wanted. She wanted a baby with none of the responsibility.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Nora. Nora doesn't like to make an effort. That's <laughs>
1: no at all. How about you?
0: I think my favorite ghost has to be Hayden.
1: Aww, look at little Lord Fauntleroy writing sorrowful sonnets in your head to that little nightingale bitch, adieu Nightingale. Thy plaintiff anthem fades. That's Keats. Who gives a shit? You're like a girl sulking down here in the basement instead of doing something about what's really bothering you. I'm tired of hurting people. Do you want her to go away? Because Vivian booked their tickets. I heard her. You know what you have to do. Yeah, I do. I just had to prepare myself. It's not fun. You want to fool around while you work your way up to it? Come on. I'm not into it. What is it about being dead that makes me so
0: horny? She kind of also similarly to Nora, she kind of fits into a prototype of a female ghost that we're familiar with. Like Nora's sort of like the weeping lady, you know, she's sort of moping around the house crying because she wants a baby, but she does you know, because we get to spend time with her, we know she didn't doesn't really want one. Hayden's like the angry ghost. Like she is the ghost of a mistress who was murdered because she wouldn't let go and she was causing trouble for the husband, essentially, uh, who needed to cover up his own mistakes. So she's real angry. And she gets so angry as a ghost. And I like her because she sort of like explores what it means to be a ghost. She's like, ooh, I'm going to have sex with a guy who's alive just to see if I can or I'm gonna you know murder a bunch of people just for lols or (laughs) like I'm gonna leave some writing on a steamy mirror in the bathroom because uh, uh, lols I'm a ghost I can do that now (laughs) you know what I mean like she fully explores Mm -hmm. all the different possibilities that her that her being a ghost will now kind of allow her and she is mean-spirited like she wants to fuck things up and she doesn't really think about the consequences or the cost of it she's like i'm angry i was wronged i'm gonna ruin shit just for the sake of causing havoc and for revenge but her revenge is not targeted
1: yeah yeah she is just like She's a good representation of the idea that ghosts exist because they're they're unresolved emotions, mm. which I think is is um, I mean whenever you watch Japanese horror films, that's sort of the the sensibility behind, uh, the, behind the ghosts. It's it's this this mm-hmm. rage, this like burst of rage that's left over, and that's what you know that's what the grudge is. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I really like that idea.
0: Keeping in line with that, the next award would be for the best scare. And this is, I mean, this is very subjective, you know, like, what's the thing that scares you the most? But a lot of people, when they talk about American Horror Story, they talk about Murder House and Asylum as being the scariest seasons. So what was your top scary moment?
1: It's just a single shot that I thought was really well done. Um mm-hmm of when i gosh i can't even remember sorry i have such bad memory i can't even remember who somebody goes down to the basement and you're looking at this dark corner of it and then very very slowly you see thaddeus's face emerge mm. from the darkness and and just the the subtle like i really like a good subtle scare mm. and and something where it's it's not a jump scare, it's a, a sudden realisation that something is wrong, you know? Yeah. Something about this shot doesn't feel right, and it's your brain trying to process that visual information as quickly as it can, go. oh, there's a face, oh, oh no, there's a face. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my favourite bit.
0: Oh my god, yes. I think, like, as you were speaking, I was remembering the shot, and you're it's terrifying because it's like this sort of misshapen face that you can't quite like imagine if that's human or not and it would sort of come out of the darkness of a closet and it would take you a little moment to be like wait is that a fake is that a face or is that is that just a boot that's you know a bit weird <laughs> oh no it's a face oh no yeah. it's a demon ghost oh my god it's a <laughs>
1: even goes.
0: <laughs> How about you? I, I mean, I'm going to be real basic here. And I'm just going to say the title credits. Like the first time I saw those title credits, I was like, oh no. Oh no. This is, this is, this is going to be real scary. I don't like it, but I'm going to watch all of it. And even now rewatching the series, the title credits for Murder House, I find still quite scary because it's like the combination of the of the editing and the music which is really spooky and the images of kind of you know postmortem photography and you know all these you know victorian era children and bits of flesh in jars that kind of summon up kind of quite creepy images in your head they kind of implant very very creepy ideas in my head every time I watch it and even you know the show doesn't necessarily even have those images in the show itself but all of that combo just make those credits so effective I actually like cannot I couldn't watch them every time they came up in the episodes I'd always skip the credits because I was like I I don't want to watch this minute again that's too much yeah
1: yeah oh wow they are good. And I know I always I'm always so interested in how they change from season to season. Yeah. I mean, this is the original sort of, I guess, the purest form of it, because then they start to mess
0: around with the credits as the seasons go on. Yeah, exactly. I always um, I'm super intrigued by how they update the credits.
1: So this one a little bit more of a, a serious one, but there's a there's a lot of ableism in this show. Mostly, sort of characters directing that other at other characters to sort of point out. I don't know. To I guess to to make the characters more villainous is that they are they are ableist. But what was the most ableist moment?
0: Mm. I mean, the biggest the biggest problematic character here is Constance, clearly. Um, I'm, I mean, yes. <laughs> so, so many moments with her, you know, chaining up her son in, in the attic, um, for instance, but I, I'm going to say that probably the moment this really, we, we spoke about this at length in the episode, but this moment where she has this kind of Halloween conversation with Addie and Addie just wants to she says she wants to be a pretty girl and Constance just continues like pummels her with this really toxic narrative of like, no, you cannot be pretty. You are not pretty. You'll never be pretty. They're all going to laugh at you. And it's like the extent to which she goes on onto that. It's like, ah, oh, I just found it really really so intensely hurtful uh it was probably like the most hurtful some of the most hurtful shit that comes out of Constance
1: yeah and so uh, sad because I think for me it's the just the entire concept of that mirror closet that she'll lock mm. Addie into and the idea that like just the idea that Addie looking at herself should in her eyes be something hurtful 'Cause that's her sort of it's not only her being ableist towards her daughter, it's her trying to make her daughter like feel I don't know, direct that ableism towards herself. Yeah. So it like just corrupts her, you know, so she associates her own reflection with something negative and and scary, I guess that's what she's trying to do by looking around the closet. Mm-hmm. Like what an evil it's like you're taking the Jesus closet from Carrie, which was already a pretty like horrific thing to do to your child and like cranky mm. it up to, to eleven. Mm. Uh yeah. And... You're right, Constance was the worst parrot. <laughs> I think now that we've <laughs> broken down the things that she did.
0: Only because I rewatched Carrie recently. So I like have it pretty fresh in my mind. And it's it's weird, like that mirror closet. It's, it's almost even more damaging than the Carrie mirror closet because Carrie's mother is like a religious fanatic. So she's obsessed with the idea of sin and with women's bodies being sinful by default. Where there's Constance's you know, logic, quote unquote, behind this is the fact that Addie should never be able to feel happy within herself. And it's kind of, it's not underpinned by any moral idea. It's not underpinned by any religious fervor or anything. It's just like, I think you're wrong based on my toxic, like old school views of beauty and womanhood and who should, you know, and quote unquote, who's normal and who's allowed to be happy. And I've decided based on these rules that you are not allowed to be happy. So I'm gonna remind you that I think you should be miserable all the time and grateful to me. It's it's so it's so bad. It's horrifying. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. But to end on a lighter, more optimistic note, you know, within the context of American horror story, which is nothing, which is the complete opposite. Of light and optimistic. <laughs> yes. Especially yeah. in this season, because they're all dead. <laughs> they literally all die. Except the really yeah. racist white women in this show. Which is hella problematic.
1: Who gets to
0: bring up the literal antichrist. Yeah, and Marcy, who keeps on selling houses. True, yeah. This one is uh, an, an award that My friend Ruby, who I've mentioned several times, is the only other living human being I know who loves American Horror Story as much as we do. Big Bomer fan. Matt Bomer fan. And Matt Bomer is an actor who will... This is not a spoiler. He will turn up in future seasons of American Horror Story. This is the best (laughs) Where is Bomer moment award. (laughs) Which essentially is, what is the moment in Murder House that would have been exponentially made better by the presence or recasting of matt bomer meaning this is no shade on any of the very very good performers that are cast in the show it's just based on the universally acknowledged truth that anything matt bomer is in is automatically better by about 700 percent because he is in it
1: do you want to go first? <laughs> I'm still thinking about my answer. So.
0: Um, okay, so the Ruby Mcquigan Best Wear is Bomer Moment Award goes to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it goes to Patrick. Because I think Chad and Patrick and Chad is played by Zachary Quinto and Patrick is played by Teddy Sears. I think that Patrick... I mean, nothing against Teddy Sears, he is brilliant. He's a gorgeous man. Well done, Teddy, for being Teddy. But A, I would love to have seen Matt Bomer and Zachary Zachary Quinto bicker on screen over um, rubber suits and Halloween decorations. I think that would have been glorious. And also I think because there's so many kind of intense interactions between them. And most of them have involved Patrick being uh, half-naked. So I think, you know, considering those two things, it would have been very nice to have Mad Bower cast in that role for, you know, our viewing pleasure.
1: That's a very good answer.
0: Thank you. What about you?
1: My answer... He should have played the Antichrist. Oh! (laughs) So, during the... She just births out, and instead of the baby popping out, it's fully grown adult Matt Bomer slides down, <laughs> like it's like in um, oh my God. <laughs> in Ma- like the scene from Magic Mike, fully slides, <laughs> slides down, and a Ta-da! It's me, the Annie Christ. And then he like
0: fully appears, and he's uh, absolutely clean, dressed impeccably.
1: Well, no, he's like he should be topless with like. S- <laughs> a topless with silk black trousers and these like oil slick flump down to down the whole way through the living room like baby it's the yeti christ me <laughs> that's my answer
0: if this is a connective tissue between the american horror story universe and the magic Mike expanded universe i'm so into it That is so
1: amazing. One of the characters of Magic Mike is secretly the Antichrist, but it never comes up and it's not a problem.
0: I love it. I love it. Also, yes, of course the Antichrist would be Matt Bomer as a stripper. Obviously. How do we not think about this before? (laughs) This is genius.
1: A full grown adult man. (laughs) (laughs) Ta da. Well. Well. That's Murder House. That was Murder House.
0: That's that pretty much wraps up the first season of American Horror Story and the first season of The Next Supremes. Woo. Yes. Dow dow dow. However, this down, is down, down. This is nowhere near the end.
1: Oh my god, no. We've uh, just only started. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. It gets, <laughs> uh, It's going to get real messy. So we're going to kick off with the next season of American Horror Story, which is Asylum, starting next week.
1: Yeah, so we'll be back next Wednesday with our take on on the very first, the pilot, which pilot? Would you say pilot for a second? See The first episode of American Horror Story Asylum. But in the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. I'm on at Clary Slew.
0: And I am on at Abita Demented. Bow, bow, bow. Just send us your Matt Bomer gifts. That's that's all I want.
1: Oh yes, please. <laughs> please.